0: Well, I'm going to try to make up for this morning a little bit. We were having a little discussion afterwards, and David assured me that as long as people aren't getting up to leave, I have not hit the threshold yet of how long I can preach. Um, But I think that in America, that's not true, because we would never get up and leave. We just don't come back. And so maybe tonight, it tells me the threshold is starting to be reached. (laughs) But uh, tonight we want to look at Samson and uh, we articulated some of explaining why he needed to come and why his is a unique judgeship and for several reasons. One, because we want to understand how God continues to use a man that seems to have such disregard for the manner of his uh, being raised and identified as a judge, seems to have disregard for the moral law of God, um, disregard for the command to be separate, um, and why it was necessary so that we could have a better understanding of Samson. Um, He is perhaps one of those probably the biggest character in the Bible, that we have a real love-hate relationship with him. We just, we don't like how he lived. We don't really like how he died either. We don't really like how he judged. But we know that he is one of the people that God used in a mighty fashion, not just physically, but um, to deliver Israel from one of her enemies. And I think we have, as I shared last week, have forgotten how deplorable the circumstances were that he was engaged in, that they could not, even with a great hero, a great champion, could not raise up an army. Uh, And there was no interest. There was just no uh, consensus of, we want to get rid of the Philistines off our back. There just wasn't anyone praying for even that. And so, hence the need for the, the deliverer to take a very different form than what we've seen in the past. Um, and also we're going to have issues with some of the events, Uh, and you're going to struggle, and you should struggle with it. Um, But again, uh, if the Spirit of the Lord is moving this action, then we need to recognize that God is in it, God has purpose, and that's one of the things we saw in chapter 14, is that... uh, it, it was of the Lord, verse 4. It says, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. He was seeking, that is, God was seeking occasion to move against the Philistines. Um, for at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel, which wasn't right. But no one was praying, and no one was ready to participate in the delivery process. And so God had to instigate everything. And so he put within Samson some weaknesses. And they are weaknesses. Um and one particular weakness, and that was for women. And God's going to use that weakness, and for foreign women nonetheless. And God's going to use that weakness not only to instigate um, antagonism between him, Samson, and the Philistines to help Israel to be um, extricated from their dominion, but also, he's going to use that same weakness to judge Samson for the disregard that he did have for his station and for the demands of the law. But we, um, we today would never condone any of this. We wouldn't condone the, the behavior. We wouldn't, in terms of the moral behavior, we wouldn't condone the actions that he takes, take. We wouldn't condone the spirit, little s, behind it, within him. Um, when we find that most of this was driven by his self-interest, by anger, um, by um, lust, and, and by greed. Um, you look at what motivates some of this and we struggle deeply with it. Um, but when we understand the times and the circumstances, we begin to understand, well, God uses that. And by the way, this is an unusual it's unusual on an individual level, but on a national scale, we already have seen that we saw it. We we have the same relationship with other entities that God used to judge Israel. We have the same love-hate for Egypt. You know, Pharaoh with Joseph and gave him the whole the whole country and saved the whole world from famine. And 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 we say, well, you know, Egypt is a great place. They they brought. Jacob down there with his whole family, they multiplied there. And we say, well, God used Egypt mightily. Yes, but then we go, oh, there's a Pharaoh that doesn't know Joseph. And now they're being enslaved for for a couple hundred years. And, and oh, this is going bad. And, and now we have this, this, they're the enemy. Same thing with Babylon. Do we love them or hate them? Assyria, do you love them or hate them? Um, Persia, down the road. Greeks, uh, do you love them or hate them? And, and so when God uses these instruments, he does not rubber stamp and condone everything they did and their motives, but we recognize that he has purpose in them and reason. There's a reason he's using, who he's using. And I think that's what I wanted to really communicate last week. I don't know how clearly I got that across, but he had to use a strange instrument like Samson with, who could individually kill thousands of Philistines without raising an army. And that we need to understand first and foremost, that no army could be raised with the attitude of Israel being what it was. And we're going to see that come out in later part of chapter 14, chapter 15. So let's go Lord in prayer before we get into seeing his full ministry and into his demise. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us and we thank you that uh, you take action and we don't always understand it and we don't always even incredibly enough agree with it Um, but we see it's necessary and we do rejoice that you even when your people um, become so downtrodden that they even don't even look for help that you are still the Lord and faithful to your promises Um, and Lord we thank you for that that even when we are downcast when we aren't really looking where we should be looking and asking for what we should be asking, that you are still um, on the side of the believers. And we pray that uh, we might be uh, careful not to create the environment that would necessitate the raising of such one as Samson. Um, But Lord, that... um, We would all champion righteousness and godliness in this present world as we look for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, here he comes. And so he has, we've already been introduced to his fault. His fault is with women. He has identified a Philistine woman and his mother and father have gone to uh, secure her for him um, reluctantly. But they're going to do that because this is their son and this is what he wants. Um, on the way in, in this interchange and, and selecting this is when we find that Samson, as we saw last week, discovered his strength. And I really believe that that is true. That there is no evidence of any superhuman attribute of strength up until this event with the lion. And it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And all of a sudden, he's grappling with a lion and realizing, I can take this creature. <laughs> and he doesn't just take him, he tears it to shreds. He just mutilates a lion. Um, and that realization of that power, and you can even recognize that this was something new to him by when he returns some weeks later, or days later, uh, weeks later would be the evidence, sometime later, it says in verse 8, Um, He returns to get his wife, and so basically they're traveling to the wedding ceremony. We talked about that being a one-week-long event. Um, So he's traveling down there, and as he's going through the way of where he knows he destroyed this line, he's going to go check it out again. There's almost this this remembrance, you know, I had some incredible strength to do that. And he's going to go back and look at the carcass, and that's when he finds the honey there. And so we find him um, sharing that with his mom and dad. And again, that wasn't kosher for um, someone in his station um, because he wasn't supposed to have contact with a dead thing. He could kill things. But we're going to find all through here that he has almost constant contact with dead things. It's one of his weapons of choice later on. um, And so he is violating that. It should be no surprise to you how this story ends by how it begins. He has violated the separation from the Gentiles by choosing a Philistine wife. He has violated his Nazarite vow by handling this honey within the carcass of a dead animal, uh, which he's not supposed to be near. He's not supposed to handle that. Um, He's going to later on also engage in some things that he shouldn't be, and then he's going to be using the jawbone, that means it's a carcass laying there of of a a mule, donkey, ass. He's going to take that jawbone, and that's what he's going to use as a weapon. Again, violating, shouldn't have contact with dead things. Um, It shouldn't surprise you that before the end of this story, it almost presages it, that he's going to be in trouble by breaking the very last evidence of his Nazarite vow, which is... No razor shall touch his head. That means not just his hair, but his beard too. So if you think of something with long hair and no beard, you got the wrong guy. This guy would have had never shaved. Ever. Okay, and I'm pretty sure he even he was older by now and he would have had a full beard, even pretty long. And so we have him coming upon this lion's carcass violating it and he's intrigued by it it so intrigues him that he's going to use that very event as the riddle at the wedding and so they're going to make a wager and uh, they've you know remember he's surrounded by Philistines this is a Philistine wedding here are three Jewish people at a Philistine wedding They have provided everything else. They have provided even his companions. Um, His best man, he didn't choose them, or you might have known him, but it was all provided by the Philistines. And so um, it says that that when he arrived, (coughs) that they um, brought him 30 companions. In verse 11, when they saw Samson come for the wedding, they brought him 30 companions. So... (laughs) He's surrounded by Philistines. And again, God is in this. He is trying to set up antagonism. He's trying to set up a fight. He is, he is, he is baiting it. He, he, and here he is. He's got these 30 companions that are all Philistines at his Philistine wedding. The only Hebrews there that we can see are his parents and himself. And he comes in um, with the riddle and because Seven days is a long time, and so it's past the time. He poses a riddle. They put a wager on it, of course. You guys are mostly familiar with all of this, um, for linen garments. So if you're me a change of clothing. Um, so we're asking for two things, linen garments and a change of clothing. So basically a full set, outerwear and innerwear. Um, 30, and so there's 30 of you, so I'll have to pay each of you, but each of you will have to pay me. So he could walk out of the wedding with... 30 outfits. So he wouldn't have to buy clothes for a long time. You know, he would never be seen at Old Navy because he would be fully dressed for a long time with 30 changes of clothing. Um, That might seem like not very much to us um, because we have something called closets, Um, but back in the day, uh, that was substantial. You're considered extraordinarily wealthy if you had that many sets of clothing. And the idea that he would have to pay this kind of a debt um, isn't lost on us because we're like, well, what if he loses? Of course, um, they do something that uh, we're familiar with. They use his wife, and this is his wife at this point, not his fiance. This is the wedding ceremony. They are considered wed from the first day on, even though it has it doesn't complete it till the seventh day. From day one of that, they are considered husband and wife, and so. Um, Throughout this course, they then go to his wife, and all through the passage, is going to be referred to as his wife. Not as the woman he was going to marry, but as his true wife. And legally it was. And they're going to use her, and they they do not uh, uh, entice her, they threaten her. And you might say, if you didn't know the end of the story, you might say, well, this kind of threat, all she has to do is tell her husband that they threatened her. And in fact, that's all that she would have had to do if she'd known what no one else knew. No one else but Samson knew Samson's secret. And that is his incredible strength. If she had known what she was capable, what he was capable of doing, she would have had nothing to fear from these 30 men, correct? And that's why later on when we get to Delilah, they don't come to Delilah and threaten her because what can they threaten her with against Samson? All she would have to say is, Samson, they threaten me. He'd rip them to pieces with anything handy. A rock, a piece of bone, a stick, you name it. He'll just rip them apart with his bare hands if necessary. He'll pick up the whole building and throw it on him. Literally, he could do that. And so Delilah could not be threatened into this, and so she was enticed by a lot of money. They're going to offer her gobs of money. But no one knew how strong Samson was at this point. And so they come to her um, in verse 15, and it says, um, on the seventh day, they said to Samson, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? You know, now we find out that her family was the one providing the companions, and now she feels that uh, you brought us here. You know, we did you a family favor. Now you're going to take clothing away from us. And uh, so you came here to to rob us, basically. And so they threaten her. Um, Either you help us out, or we're going to burn your house down with you and your dad in it. Um, Which, interestingly... All that she does does not avoid that. It actually does happen later on anyway. But remember, nobody knows what you know and what Samson knows, that he has the capacity to destroy these people. So she, out of fear for her dad and herself and their home, their entire family and and everything, she goes off and says, oh, tell me, tell me the riddle. And of course, he succumbs because that's what Samson does. Those are his weaknesses, these women. He succumbs and tells her the answer to the riddle. And of course, she beelines it right to them. They are glad to hear it. They go to him and uh, declare the riddle, and it enrages him. And he makes the famous statement in verse 18, If you had not plowed with my heifer, I would not have saw, you have not, would not have solved my riddle. He immediately knows Um, that him communicating it to her is quickly correlated to them being able to answer the riddle that they could not answer and their smugness to come in, and now conflict has arisen. Remember, that was God's purpose. God wanted conflict to come out of this. And so the wager set the stage. Um, The the fact that she didn't realize that she had a champion uh, that she was marrying, she just thought it was some guy that liked her, um, didn't realize just how special this man was. And so she bent to the fear tactic used against her um, and goes and gives away a secret. And uh, he is enraged. And again, verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Same phrase. He went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men. And so he goes to the neighboring town and he kills city. He kills 30 of them there, takes their clothing from them, um, brings it in, and pays his debt. Um, he does all of this. This all happened seventh day. We haven't finished the seventh day, and it's not finished till that night. And so you might say, he just went and murdered 30 people that weren't involved in this whole scenario. You're correct. But remember, God wanted this conflict to start. Now the indication is when he, it says he went down and killed 30 men. This was not 30 just Joe Schmoes that are on the street. The, what was he supposed to provide? Linen and a full outer garments for these men. This is the apparel of well-to-do people. This is not the apparel of just the Joe worker you're going to see on the street. He is going to have to go out and kill 30 well to do, high ranking Philistines, men. And he goes to Ashkelon, one of the prime, principal cities of, of uh, the Philistia, and does that. He is already starting to knock off some of the top people of the Philistines. He is not going out there, and if you think he's out there killing slaves, he's not. He's got to find people that have fine apparel. So he's going after some of the wealthiest, most powerful people in Ashkelon, one of the principal cities. And so he's not killing just 30 random. He's got to kill 30 people that have appropriate clothing to fill out the order that he has to pay. And so that was accomplished. Again, the Spirit of the Lord did that. And so that was a strategic strike, if you will. If you want to use military terms, that's a strategic strike against the enemy. Take out some of their high-ranking officials. All right, this wasn't just random 30 men. This is 30 men that were had nice clothes on them. <laughs> all right? in the, Toward later in the evening. So 30 high-ranking officials, strategic strike against the Philistines, which is why there's going to be this uproar coming. It's just going to start swelling. How did these 30 men all die? And then suddenly 30 of their clothes show up in the next town being paid off. And so... He r- arrives back, having done that, and you almost think, well, that's incredible speed. He's been able to do this all in one day. Yes, and you're going to be confounded not just by the strength of Samson, but by the incredible speed that he had, the agility that he had all the way through this. We often think it was just, just strength that God gave him. No, it was a physical prowess in every category. The guy is going to chase down how many foxes? 300 foxes. Try catching one. The guy is going to catch hundreds of foxes in one day. All right? That's not strength. That is incredible speed and agility. So get the idea of Samson being this lunkering guy like this out of your head. It's not who he was. This was not physical prowess that he possessed by lifting weights and by being a massive person. This was supernatural capacity the Holy Spirit gave him so that when his wife looked at him, she didn't look at him and say, I think you could take these 30 guys. No, there was nothing in him physically that made her think that. And that's why even with 30 important men in Ashkelon dead, no one thought, oh, Samson probably did that. They will later on when they find out his secret, but right now it's still a secret. So there's nothing necessarily pointing to Samson doing it. So he runs. He goes home. He's mad. He stomps off before the final consummation of his marriage. And a horrible thing was done at the end of the chapter. His wife was given to one of the companions. Remember, he didn't choose the companions. They were actually friends of the family. And the indication is that they knew this best man, and they had chosen him as Samson's replacement, even if maybe if Samson hadn't shown up for the wedding, so she wouldn't be disappointed at the end of the day a week earlier. So, a little while goes by, Um, most weddings were done towards harvest season, getting close to harvest season, so it's not too much distance between there and wheat harvest, that's one of the last things to be harvested during this time, and so um harvest season comes, and Samson's like, um, I left my wife back there. I'm actually married. And so he has that soft spot for her, and he goes back. And he goes back to collector, her, and he says, no, we already gave her to someone else. And he says, okay, um, you might have heard about the 30 men and maybe thought that it was peculiar that those, their clothes showed up at the wedding um, and figured things out by now and might have something to blame me for if you found it out. But you don't even have to, I don't even have to worry about you finding this out because now you deserve this. And then he went out and caught the 300 foxes, um, tied, their, <laughs> tied torches to the pairs of tails. And so two foxes trying to run two different directions. And so all we have here is 150 uh, weapons used to burn down their fields, their vineyards, their buildings, everywhere these foxes went. They were not running sanely. They were not patterned. There was no way, and and that it was just a random firestorm. Wherever these guys are going, and they can't, they're not thinking, hey, let's run to the river. No, they're two different animals, so they can't do things independently, and they're not even thinking about the other one. Have you ever dealt with an animal caught in something they just aren't rational and they, they they're just gonna huh ah, they're even gonna strike out at, at something trying to help them so you have to be very careful um and so these animals are in distress they're going crazy they burn the place down and the philistines say now comes the question verse 6 is the first time the philistines start to understand what they're dealing with in this man samson who has done this and they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite. Now remember, they already know that they are legally married. And they even know why. Because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines come up and burned her and her father with fire. And they did exactly what was threatened earlier at the wedding. is has now occurred... And the indication is, now this wasn't Samson's idea. This is the Philistines getting revenge for losing their entire crop. All their livelihood is gone. And they're going to take it out in the Timnite, which just further incites Samson. Exactly what God wanted. He's trying to instigate conflict. And so now... Tit for tat, it's always going to be one-upmanship. And so Samson says, oh, you did that to my wife? Remember, in his mind, that's my wife. It's not my companion's wife, that's my wife you did that to. That's my father-in-law you did that to. Now I have something to be righted, a wrong to be righted. And I have the right to now go out and get revenge. You got revenge on them for your crops. I'm getting revenge on you for their lives. And so it says he attacked them, hip and thigh, with a great slaughter. In verse eight, he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etam, and uh, he basically hides there. Um, He has done a great slaughter on them, um, and uh, just man. uh, The whole idea of hip and thigh um, is just he just physically destroyed them. He just manhandled them literally with his hands is the indication. No necessary weapon there. Um, And then, of course, we find the sad, sad state of Israel. And we talked about that last week, that they were willing to tie up Samson and deliver him instead of joining him. Instead of joining him as their champion to fight the Philistines, they just say, oh, we'll bring him to you. we'll, We'll take our champion judge that God has raised up And we will bring him to you, and then you do to him whatever, just don't hurt us. This is the condition of the people he's trying to save. Okay, he cannot possibly raise an army among them. They won't even follow him if he does all the work and they just have to cheerlead. They won't even do that. They turn him in. And so... um, We talked about this passage last week a little bit more. So we come to verse 14. Came to Lehi and Philistines came shouting against him. Then the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. You knew I was going to read that. Uh, (laughs) And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire. His bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. um, Reached out his hand, took it. And a fresh bone is something that an old bone doesn't have, right? What happens to old bones if they've been sitting there for a while? They get brittle, yeah. They wouldn't do It's a fresh jawbone. Now, I've slaughtered a few animals in my day, and um, the jawbone is a tough thing. Um, when I try to um, get the meat off the skull, boy, the jawbone is tough. And a fresh jawbone means the teeth are also freshly intact. And this is a very, this, and, and, and this donkey, that's a pretty large jawbone. You ever seen a head of one of those? Um, so he's going to take this weapon and make full use of it. Remember, he had a great slaughter just hip and thigh. Just me against you, wrestling match. <coughs> and <coughs> and <coughs> and <coughs> all right, that's hip and thigh. Um, that's what we call, you know, that, that's physical hand-to-hand combat. Now he's got a weapon in his hand, and now we find that a thousand men are going to fall before him. One guy. Okay, that's not just Strength. That's agility. There's no way he can do that just being powerful. He has to be able to avoid all their weapons, all that they can throw at him. Um, He is extraordinarily capable. And so when he finished, um, he threw the jawbone from his hand and uh, named that place. And uh, then we find out later he, he judged for 20 years. There's one little passage I skipped along there, and that is, what is Samson like? Does he enjoy this? He doesn't. And I'll explain to you why. It says that he, it's what he declared after they um, kill his wife and her husband, or her father, and probably her her other husband too. Samson says this in verse 7, and I want you to just see a little bit into his heart and mind a little bit. It says, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. Samson was ready to be done. He says, okay, I'm going to put an end to this so this is going to stop. I'll take my revenge and then I'm planning on doing no more. I'm not going to engage these Philistines. And the whole indication is I'm going to withdraw myself from the whole Philistine community. But the Philistines wouldn't let him. And so in his mind, he says, I'm going to take revenge on my wife and her family um, because I... I need to do that. It's a a blood oath. I need to do that. Otherwise, where does it end? And so, but in his heart, and in his declaration is, when I'm done with that, I'm done. I'm done with the Philistines. But the Philistines weren't done with him, and they went and chased him. You see that? They went and found him. And they went to the people and said, either you turn him over, or we're going to destroy all of you. And they say, okay, he's right over there. We'll go get him. They bring him down. And then again, he picks up this weapon and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. But recognize that this is something he was seeking after. Uh, I don't think there was anywhere in here he was seeking after this. God was creating these conflicts um, to do his work against the Philistines. And so now we've got a thousand plus dead. um, And uh, we have God... Giving, granting him one encouragement. And I want you to notice this. He is doing the work of the Lord. And the Lord wants to remind him of this. And so he's sitting there and he pri- cries out to the Lord. Finally, someone's crying out to the Lord. No Israelites are. Lord, save us. Here is Samson crying out to the Lord. In verse 18, he became thirsty cried out to the Lord, said, you give me this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall in the hand of the uncircumcised? And so God does something that we have seen God do before. He just makes water come where it wasn't there before. And it says, God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out and he drank, and his spirit returned and he revived. And so, uh, again, there is another place name based upon Samson's life. And for 20 years, he's going to now engage the Philistines. And God here comes along and having a whole chapter filled with his slaughtering Philistines, recognize that once the Spirit of the Lord leaves you and your work is done, you're still just a frail human. And Samson acknowledges that. I'm going to die of thirst here. I'm going to pass out. And then the Philistines are going to come in and do their worst to me. And I'll be so weak from thirst I can't defend myself. He still has physical limitations. God recognizes that and provides a source of encouragement to him. And that you're doing my work, I'm going to provide for you. My spirit will come upon you when you need to do battle. Don't stop. And I will provide even supernaturally for your needs. You need a drink? Here's some of the best water in town. Um, I'll split this place and out comes the water that he drinks and he's revived. And so you think, well, Samson's going to live for God now, right? No, he goes and visits the harlot because women are his weak spot. And again, he they think they've got by now he's notorious. He's in a Philistine city. He um, is well noted, easily identified. Um, they sneak up on him. They're going to kill him. Um, and, of course, he gets up and just walks out. They can't stop him. And on the way out, he destroys the defenses of a city. The city gates are the primary defense of the city. And he says, I'm going to, and he takes them right off the, uh, it's just almost incredible to think about what he is able to do here. Um, these are usually massive things that are intended to withhold an assault of an entire army, and he picks them up on his shoulders and carries them up the hill and dumps them up there. And is communicating something to them. There is no defense against me. You Philistines have nothing that can stop me. Nothing. The most Potent defense of your city, your city gates um, that are designed to handle an army can't stand against me. And so we have that knowledge now. The Philistines realize we're dealing with something out of the ordinary here. This is not something any man can do. Goliath couldn't have done this. He's going to be later on, but no normally strengthened man could do this. And so... Um, now we come into his third woman, Delilah. And so, why does he tell Delilah? He's already figured out, should have learned the lesson from his wife. You let go a secret to her, it's going to bring trouble. And so, he has learned. And again, the, in, the, the indication is that he is wooing courting Delilah he is wanting to make her his wife um, that's his his, his, his uh, plan it seems like uh, whether he's sworn that off or not it, it seems that he has uh, uh, granted that and it becomes not known to the lords of the Philistines and of course they're going to uh, entice her to give them the secret. And, of course, every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. This isn't just 1,100 pieces of silver. This is 1,100 pieces of silver from every lord of the Philistines. This is a fortune they are offering Delilah. Overwhelming for us. She would probably end up being the wealthiest woman in Philistia by the time this is over. She will be because they are going to pay her, because she is going to do what they ask her to do, and she will do it successfully, and she will be one of the wealthiest of Philistia from this point on. And she will probably die with Samson in the Colosseum, being one of the wealthiest there. And, of course, she begs, and Samson's learned his lesson. He tells her a lie. She she proves that she can't be trusted, and he wakes up and, and... He is able to wreak havoc on the Philistines. Um, So the secret wasn't known. We come in verse 9. Secret wasn't known. Verse 10. Please tell me. Oh, oh, girls can do this, can't they? And so he tells her another lie. He broke them off his arms like a thread. Didn't work. And so, again, cry, cry. Cry, cry, he tells her another lie. Three lies. Doesn't work again. But he's getting closer. Now it's involving his hair. He doesn't tell her to cut it. He tells her to weave it into a new loom while he's asleep. This guy's got to sleep like a log to have his hair woven in to be tied up in his sleep. This guy sleeps really soundly to have these things happen to him. Of course, he breaks through every time and they're incapable of doing it. And then, verse 16 is the key. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. Proverbs, and I, this needs a whole sermon on itself for the gals, okay? Proverbs says, better to live on the corner of a rooftop than with a contentious woman. Gals, you may not be the strongest sex. You may not, maybe not be physical prowess, but you have a capacity to control men and you know it. And this is how you do it. And my, I challenge my daughters, read through the Bible and find out all the things men do to keep their women happy and quiet. And it's horrible. And it starts right off where sin starts. Adam eats a piece of fruit because he loves his wife. He knows it's disobedient. He knows it's death. He knows. But she ate it. She offers it to him, and he says, well, it's her God. She's right here. I'll eat it. And it just goes from there. Why does a man, a godly man like Abram, take Hagar to make his wife happy? Why did Jacob take the two other women to make his wives happy? You go right through the scriptures and you say, why, why, why? And over and over again, what you'll find is that too many times, too many times, this is the reason godly men do bad things, is to make a pestering wife happy. And so when the Bible says you, when a man has found a wife, he's found a good thing, it is true if you found a good wife. And that's why Solomon's mom says find a virtuous woman. Oh, please find a virtuous woman. Why? Because she has the capacity to control her husband without strength, just with words and attitude to make him miserable. And look how miserable he is. He hasn't even married this girl yet. And he's He is vexed to death. He would rather die than hear her whine one more day. And in fact, when he gives up the secret, that's exactly what he is offering to do. He is offering to die to keep her happy, to keep her quiet. He is willing and rather die because as soon as he gives up his secret, he's a dead man walking. He has too many enemies. Once he gives up that secret, he is dead, and he knows it. So when it says he was vexed to death, it means it. He was ready to say, just fine, cut the hair off and kill me. He knew what he was doing. He did not go, oh, well, I guess I'll trust you this time. He wasn't stupid. He was vexed to death. And yes... You can incite your husband to do horrible things by vexing them, by, what does it say? Pestering him daily with words and pressed him. That's all you got to do. And I've seen some gals in this church, not in this church now, thank the Lord, pester their husbands to do horrible things, including leave this church. But some even worse than that. And they know it. They're pushing his buttons and they know it. And then it gives them the power. And they know that too. And that is an unsubmissive woman. And that's why you get to Peter. And what does Peter say? Without a word to your unobedient husband, who is not obeying, not you, God. Even if he's not obeying God, you don't tell him a word of complaint. You don't pester him. You don't vex him. That's what Delilahs do for money. Why are you doing it? Because it's something for you. It's not something for the betterment of the world. Keep your mouth shut and let him lead. And God will hold him responsible for his decisions. It's hard to do, I know. Because God has built you to say about 40,000 more words a day than men. (laughs) But make them pleasant words, make them good words. They don't have to be pestering words. And so, yes, He isn't tricked into doing this, He knows the score, and He is ready to pay that price. And we get the idea that Samson was stupid because we have personified the the big dumb ox. He is not stupid. He knows exactly what he's doing because in his heart, she has done such work on him for so long, he's like, I would rather die than hear this anymore. And that's what Adam decided in the garden. I'd rather die than have her sin and me not. I'd rather face spiritual and physical death, and he does. And so men have done incredible things throughout history, including biblical history, godly men, to please and to silence their wives. wisest man on earth was Solomon. What turned his heart away from God? Women, his wives. Can you imagine how many of them pestered him for a temple to their own God? Eventually, it's just like, okay, I'll build you one. And he did. And it turned his heart away from God. And so don't be too too heavy on Samson like he's a fool here. He means it. His soul was vexed to death. He knew what he was going to do. He tells her the truth, and she does exactly what he expects her to do. They brought the money in their hand when they showed up and he was weak. He was powerless to stop them. And the sad part in verse 20 is he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. And so... Instead of killing him, they bound him up, made him a prisoner. Of course, you know the balance of the storyline. You might say, well, his hair started to grow in, and and how negligent of the Philistines? But it takes a while, and we don't know how long the hair had to be before God reinvested in him. And it really wasn't the hair per se. What was it that then God says, I will bring my spirit upon you again? It was his prayer. Look at verse 28. Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes, He's not fighting for his wife. He's not fighting for justice. He's not fighting for Israel. He's fighting still for revenge because that's the character he is. And that's what makes Samson tick. But that's the way God built him for this very reason. And so we don't like it that he doesn't say the right things at the end, but he's asking God, he's humbling himself before God because God has humbled him. And so 3,000 men are there watching him on the roof. There are more than that, but 3,000 are on the roof. They are sure to die. If he accomplishes what he is, ask God to allow him to accomplish. Takes hold of the two middle pillars, supported the temple, one on his right and the other on his left. Ask God to let him die with the Philistines. And that is an interesting statement. Remember, he wanted to die. He wanted to die before he told Delilah about his hair. I think he was honestly disappointed the Philistines didn't kill him, just blinded him and made him a slave. He was ready to die. And now he's asking God again, just let me die with these people. I don't want to go on without seeing. I don't want to be blind judge for you. Let me die. And so God fulfills both requests. The temple fell on the Lord's and the, all the people were in it. He killed more in his death than he had in his life. Not just 3,000, there was 3,000 on the above him seated. That's how big this temple was. If you don't think they built buildings this big back then, they built buildings this big back then. Trust me, we've seen a few of them. You know, they're amphitheaters that hold tens of thousands of people. This is their main temple. They bring him in. And uh, so he kills more at his death than he did in his life. But remember his purpose. Who would have been there? All the dignitaries, everyone who is somebody, the lords of the Philistines were there. And again, God uses Samson as a strategic weapon to debilitate the, Phil- the Philistia so significantly that they cannot exercise authority beyond their borders. They, they are going into chaos politically and militarily from this point out. And so we find that they're, they're going to take a long time to regroup from this. Uh, and then by then we have Saul and, and uh, the kingly period coming up, Samuel as well. But we find that during those 20 years, they give them the victory. And, and in the midst of this, we find out something, again, that's a little disturbing, um, but also a little tender. Verse 31, his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of his father, Manoah. His father had died. And so his brothers, his household, father's household, that's all of his relatives came down there and claimed his body, picked among the ruins, pulled out Samson and took him up and gave him a proper burial with honors as one of the judges of Israel for he did do God's work. And it might not have been the most likely instrument that we would have liked to hear about, but it was a period of time. And so, yes, sometimes if the state of God's people gets to such a deplorable condition that they're not even praying for God to save them, then, yes, God will take dramatic and even to our senses wrong. Um, Things we're uncomfortable with, God will use that. Because of this condition and state of his people that use some very strong language, some very strong uh, actions to shake them out of their apathy about being dominated by an enemy. Okay, that's how we're prayer. Lord, I would do thank you again and again for your work amongst us. And, um, We recognize the reasonableness of it, um, even as we shudder sometimes at the facts of it. And Lord, help us to be strong, to be bold and courageous, and recognize that you carry a rod of iron as well as a saving cross, you carry a sword. And Lord, uh, that you know how to use it when it's necessary. And Lord, we know that day is coming. But today, we pray that we might walk in your truth. We might have a message of compassion for people, knowing that the day of judgment is yours. And the instruments of your judgment um, you have declared in your word. And we wait for them. But Lord, we do not anticipate experiencing them. Nor, Lord, do we want to become complacent and just be satisfied to tolerate and to even sometimes enjoy the domination that we see of Satan and the world in your church. Lord, help us to be ready when called upon to be part of your army and not betray that sacrifice that you've made on our behalf by joining with the enemy or even by just being complacent and not even recognizing them as the enemy anymore. Lord, keep us from that condition. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.